I was laying on the couch this morning thinking that I've been thinking about my dad more than usual lately and how much I not just loved but really liked my dad. There's a lot of things about him that I really liked. Even though he was an asshole, he could definitely be a humongous asshole. There were a lot of things about him that I really liked. And it's good to like your dad, right? I mean, who wouldn't want to like their dad? It's convenient if you like the person that, you know, you know, that contributed to your genetic material or whatever, right? Like, if you didn't like your dad or you fucking hated your father, then I would think it's pretty easy to sort of develop that or have that become a very deep self-loathing and yeah so I had gone about thinking that it's a good thing that I like my dad until I read this book yesterday which kind of kicked up some shit in my psyche which I'm sure was the intention so I appreciate it but also it's like this whole thing of daddy issues I think I have a book upstairs a tiny book that is called Daddy Issues, exactly, and I've been meaning to read it. But this morning I was thinking about how I've got daddy issues and I would hate for someone to call that shit out. But it's like, everyone has daddy issues. So if you think you don't, drop me an email, whatever the fuck, and we'll talk about it. I'll find your fucking daddy issues for you. If you can't, if you haven't found them yourself. But we've all got this shit with our father's. But, you know, it's different, so it's not like maybe you won't be able to relate to to what I'm going to talk about today. But this book that I was reading is talking about, you know, the daughters of patriarchy, you know, women that took on the dictates of patriarchy, like patriarchal women. And I never really thought of myself as a patriarchal woman But at the same time, I have been able to sort of blend into the system or I was able to blend in pretty well until I fucking came to Japan where patriarchy is like a bit more hardcore or just different, you know. So when I was living in the States, I think I was able to take on whatever personas I needed to take on in order to make my way successfully through a patriarchal system, you know, patriarchal job environments or whatever. I never really had any problems at places of employment because I just sort of, you know, knew how to act, knew how to behave or whatever. And I guess I was probably lucky, too, because I didn't experience... um, sexual harassment until I came to Japan actually so yeah you could say that I was lucky in that way but this book was basically talking about how some of these women a lot of these women develop a kind of symbiotic relationship with their fathers and even just the word symbiotic creeps me out like what the fuck is that what are we talking about here I do not want to have a symbiotic relationship with anyone that sounds creepy right but 
I think it's probably pretty normal, right, to have a symbiotic relationship with your mother. And then you sort of push yourself or she pushes you, whatever. You get yourself out of that symbiotic matrix with the mother in one way or another. Um, but for someone like me who wasn't wanted by my own mother, I couldn't really exist in the symbiotic matrix safely. So what happened is I was part of what this book would call a symbiotic patrix or patrix. I couldn't find a place of safety in the symbiotic matrix. So I found that with uh, my father. And this book calls it kind of an incestuous relationship, which is, you know, triggering for me because in my last episode, I will have brought up that my parents kind of had an incestuous relationship, even though um, my mother wasn't my father's real, quote unquote, real daughter, but was, you know, kind of like a daughter to him because he was what I assumed to be dating or in some sort of romantic relationship with my grandmother. They were around the same age. And she definitely, my mother definitely saw him as a father figure. So, um, you know, I've heard that directly from her, I'm sure, or other people in the family. Or maybe it's just so obvious that I didn't have to hear it from anyone. But anyway, yeah, I'm sure my mother has mentioned feeling that way about him. And that was really what made it so wrong or um, upsetting, I guess, right? So for me to see in this book, the word incestuous was a little bit triggering. Like, what the fuck? I didn't have an incestuous relationship with my dad. What are you talking about? But this book is talking about it in sort of an energetic or like emotional sense, not sexual, but sexual can mean all sorts of things. I wasn't molested by my father or, you know, inappropriately touched, physically touched by him in any way. But I guess you could say I was inappropriately, emotionally or energetically touched by him insofar as what this book helped me understand is that I took on a lot of his projections. He projected his feminine onto me, and there were times where I felt like I was his mother because I had to sort of try to take care of him. Not that I was good at taking care of anyone when I was living with him because I was like a small child, so there's only so much that you can do, and I wasn't exactly... I didn't have an example of good mothering to necessarily follow so it's not like I could have cooked him a meal or whatever though I did attempt to do that at some point you know in time I I remember trying to make um like a chili like a a pot of chili for him which turned out horribly because I wasn't a good cook when I was fucking 10 years old and also I remember throwing out his alcohol you know he would always buy these bottles of Jim Beam And I remember a time, I don't know how often I did this, probably not very often because it would have been a scary thing for me to do, but I would throw out, you know, the contents of some of these bottles of Jim Beam that he had in the cupboard, you know, after he had passed out. And I saw that like 
if he drank anymore, he'd be out for longer than is, you know, practically acceptable, I guess. So, yeah, there was some caretaking that was happening there. And I've seen that as parentification. But until I read this book, I didn't see this also as him possibly projecting, you know, the mother, that archetype, you know, or that image on me and me taking that on in some way. Obviously, it wasn't conscious because I wouldn't have consciously thought of myself as a mother at that age. But I definitely, you know, went out of my way to express my um, love and care for him. You know, like on Father's Day, on many a Father's Day, I spent, I would spend a long time in my room making these cards, big and small, for him to tell him how much I love him and care about him. And I guess I thought that was, you know, really sweet And I guess it is sweet, but also, you know, that could be because I felt like he needed someone to tell him that they loved and cared about him because he was having such a, you know, fucking hard time living his life. Then also he would make weird comments about my body that didn't, it didn't feel sexual, but it was, you know, he was projecting his idea of maybe a girlfriend or someone that he would want to you know be with in a romantic relationship and sort of criticizing my body from that perspective because it's in a it's highly inappropriate and maybe not obvious so I guess I should state this but it's highly inappropriate for their father to be making comments about say his um, daughter's ass or like breasts or something that's really inappropriate but I think it's part of this projection, projecting that side of the feminine. If you think about the the triple goddess, right? There's three sort of main archetypes that we can associate with the with the feminine. You have the mother, which is, you know, quite common, rampant even in our culture to associate the feminine with the mother, which I think is why a lot of times the moon is associated with the feminine but that's a really sort of incomplete and sort of warped picture because there's also the virgin which doesn't necessarily mean someone it doesn't mean at all someone who doesn't have sex it means that the person the woman or whoever is is holding or accessing this this archetype because it doesn't have to be a woman anyone can access the archetype of the virgin but it's just being whole and full within oneself, the version being not married, not tied to anyone else, not bound to anyone else, and being sort of fertile in oneself, being able to produce, being able to create things, not just babies, but like art, for example, creating music or creating poetry or creating this fucking podcast, right? That's That fertility can be accessed through the virgin archetype which is a feminine archetype. So it's one of the faces of the feminine. And so you might relate the mother feminine with the moon and the virgin archetype with like Venus, for example, in astrology. It's another way of sort of just symbolizing and working with these archetypes in our minds. The other, the third is the crone, 
which has been sort of buried in our culture, obviously because the patriarchy is fearing of the power of the crone. If we bring back the crone, there's potential for the patriarchy to disintegrate, to dissolve, to not be able to, um, to not be strong enough to sort of compete. I mean, it's not really a competition, but you know, sort of, sort of the energy of the crone, I think is very strong. And it's interesting that as I was reading about the crone, I was listening to this one podcast about the uh, paranormal and like ghosts and, and visitations and stuff like that. And the episode that I turned on that day was about, I think it was called the old hag or something. And already with the word hag, something was being pinged in my mind because I remember reading a blog post or something. Who knows where the fuck I saw it, but someone was saying that they were identifying more with the hag, you know, in their lives as opposed to, I can't remember what they were, you know, juxtaposing that with, but until I had read that article or whatever it was, this word hag wasn't exactly in my mind, but come to think of it, I had recently worked on a translation with a friend of mine and we were talking about ways to translate this story, this Japanese story, which is called Obasteyama in the past or mythically, you know, however you want to see it, people would take old women into the, into deep into the forest, deep into the mountains and leave them there to die. And I guess you could think about that, you know, mythically or metaphorically as what, you know, what has happened to this archetype of the crown itself. It's become difficult for us to access because of the cultural treatment of the crone. But as we were talking about ways to translate that word hag, I think came up in that discussion or as a part of the the whole, the translation project itself. Maybe we didn't use that word in relation to that story, but you know, another part of the translation, the word hag did come up. And I was like trying to explain to her what that means you know, how you would differentiate that between the crone, for example. And I don't think a lot of people use the word crone in in their daily lives. Like if you are studying myths and, and archetypes and doing that type of work, yes, you will likely have more access to that word. But in daily life, we don't use that word. But I think you may have heard the word hag. And I was explaining to her like, you know, like an old bag, like something no one needs or wants anymore because it's so like old and just value less doesn't have any more value because it's so old yeah so in this podcast this person was talking about how they had been visited i think at night as a child by this old hag and it was very scary to them but as i was listening to him tell the story i really felt like what he was being put in touch with was the crone. Not that he came to that conclusion himself. I don't know if he had access to that word or that archetype in his conscious mind, but truly we all have, unconsciously we have access to that archetype because that's exactly what archetypes are. They're 
these images and um, patterns that exist in our unconscious. But anyway, so for my father, you know, I don't think he would have projected the crone archetype onto me because I don't think he really had access to that or or he did have access to it in his unconscious mind, but he wasn't, you know, he was probably pushing it away. And, you know, he likely projected it onto my grandmother because he would be quite mean to her later on in my life when I was getting older and my grandmother was getting older. You know, I couldn't have imagined that in the past they would have been lovers or whatever because he was quite mean to her when when I saw them together. You know, he would accuse her of being a liar and and this thing and that thing and just, yeah. So maybe, you know, he was projecting the crone unconsciously onto her. So anyway, this book was making me think about how, well, the writer, the author even says that these women of the patriarchy, these women who might be referred to as, you know, daddy's little princess or um, a daddy's girl, which I definitely think I would have been referred to as when I was a child. I mean, I spent a large portion of my childhood, just me and him, you know, he was a single father. He was taking care of me. It's pretty easy to slip into the, you know, daddy's girl role in that type of situation. My mother was basically dead to me for a long time, in my mind anyway, you know. It's not like I didn't see her at all, but in my mind I was like, she's just not even, she's just out of the picture. So I really had to rely completely on my father to some extent, you know, for for love and nurturing. And so that that's why, you know, I think this symbiotic patrix comes into being because I needed that. I needed a safe place. I needed love and the easiest or the most convenient, right, place for me to maybe the only place, right, that I could have accessed that in my childhood home anyway was through my father and that relationship. But what happened is because I was taking on these projections of the woman, of the feminine from him, and he had a very um, chauvinistic idea about women. You know, he was, he used to watch the show Benny Hill, which I found really offensive. Even though I probably, like, at the age that I was seeing him watch it, I was probably so small that I didn't really understand how chauvinistic it was. But, you know, intuitively, I knew that shit was bad and and weird and I didn't want to be around when he was watching that type of show and you know but he would treat like I you know at restaurants or whatever like when we'd go to a diner you know he would make these comments and and call you know women honey and just the way that he would treat women when I was around was oftentimes upsetting and and not in a way that I necessarily was able to put into words until you know I got older and started to understand what was going on but you know it feels like and this book says that these type women who have gone through these experiences can easily take on other the projections of other men you know later on in life and so I almost felt yesterday when I went for a walk and I was sort of marinating in the ideas of this book that I had been trained to take on men's projections because that's exactly what I did throughout my childhood was 
repeatedly taking on my father's projections of the woman onto me. And when I read that, I thought, okay, now it makes so much sense, right? How when I've gotten into relationships in the past, I really do almost feel like I was shape shape-shifting and becoming, you know, whatever kind of woman, girl, female, whatever kind of female a dude wanted me to be, you know, whatever the projection was, I could just easily take it on and be that. And it was only in my marriage that I sort of realized that I couldn't do it anymore. It was becoming too much for me. Like it wasn't, it was taking up so much of my time and energy and effort to become the projection, to become the ideal mother, for example, or, you know, when I was in high school, I definitely sort of took on the projection of the the whore type archetype, type archetype, type archetype. That's a, that's a weird phrase. Um, I would take on the sexy, I guess you could say virgin, right? It sounds, it sounds like an, an oxymoron or like incorrect, but the virgin is quite sexy. She's like fertile, right? And just down to fuck, basically. But not necessarily a dude, right? She's down to, basically down to create is what it means by down to fuck in the context of the virgin. She doesn't really need to fuck anyone. She can fuck herself, right? She can make herself pregnant with ideas and, and um, yeah, the seed of, of artwork or whatever it is she wants to create in the world. It doesn't have to be a baby or Jesus, um, as you will. So what was I saying? So what I'm trying to say is like, I guess back when I was little, when I was a little girl, you know, thinking about myself as a daddy's girl was kind of like a point of pride for me because I really idolized my father, I think, in a way. I thought that he was like, you know, the epitome of a man. This was before, you know, I knew about what happened with him and my mother. You know, when I was a child, I didn't know, you know, what he was capable of, I guess, or sort of the dangers you know, the evil potentials in my father were not sort of at the forefront of my mind, even though, you know, probably intuitively, unconsciously, I knew there was, you know, a huge darkness. The, the shadow side of my father was immense. You know, intuitively, I probably could have sensed that, but I couldn't have really grasped that consciously because it would have made my you know, home, my living environment as a child, very unsafe to sort of accept that as a truth. So I idolized him and I thought he was just the greatest in terms of, you know, he was a, he was a carpenter and a contractor. He could make these beautiful things. He even, you know, he would make guitars, I heard, even though I never saw him do it because this was before I was born. But I had seen some of the woodworking that he had done. He would make these really beautiful cabinets and stuff and he was also a contractor so he could you know like build decks or whatever and like fix anything in someone's house you know so it was like I saw that he could he could basically make anything or fix anything in in my mind right so then when I 
was married and living with, you know, a, a dude, when he would try to like make a bookshelf, for example, or try to fix something, it would just be like, this is shit. Like you call this a bookshelf or like you didn't fix the thing you said you'd fix. It's broken again, you know, because it's like in my mind, my dad could make so much better things and he could actually fix things in such a way that they actually get fixed and don't like, they're not broken again the next day or the next week or whatever, right? Like it was almost this like super handyman of sorts, right? Like he could take care of any problem in your in your house, like any sort of mechanical, like I think he could even, he could just sort of like fiddle around with like a car or something like that and sort of fix things not always I mean obviously he went to a mechanic just like everyone else but he sort of had that kind of talent of being able to like just fix machines and shit kind of intuitively or something I think a lot of men would probably think of that as being like a cool thing to be or do like I know he had he got a lot of attention from not just women but also men I think who wanted to kind of be like him because he was very like I said, he could fix things and create, you know, really beautiful things out of wood, but he was also really strong. You know, he was supposed to go to the Olympics as um, for rowing, but Hungary wasn't able to uh, participate in the Olympics that year because of the revolution that happened in 1957. And who knows if it's true? I mean, he says that, you know, yeah, he was supposed to be part of the Olymp Hungarian Olympic team for rowing and I believed him there's no reason to think he was lying about that also when he came to the United States as a refugee he was at Georgetown University for a while as part of the like I don't know I guess that's where they would take in uh, refugees from Hungary and like teach them English or whatever and there's a picture of him in the newspaper at that time, you know, saying that he was one of these refugees that was studying in Georgetown. So I saw the newspaper article with his picture in it and stuff. So I know he wasn't lying about that. He was able to like make guitars and fucking, he also worked as a piano mover. So he could basically lift and move pianos. So he was strong enough to lift and move pianos. You know, he had this sort of woodworking talent. He could like fucking fix anything. And also he was like a rower who was potentially a part of the Olympic team. But he was basically super strong and you could see that in some of these photos from the past, you know. He would tell me about these things, you know. He would kind of be, it didn't really sound like bragging, but I guess it was bragging, you know. He'd just talk about like how, you know, he could do all these things or whatever. But it wasn't to me, you know, it would always be when we were around someone else, he would be telling them about something. And then I would hear like, oh, okay, so yeah, he was supposed to go to the Olympics, right? Like he didn't tell me that himself, I don't think. Or maybe he did, I don't fucking know. But he had, you know, different personas. When we were out in public, he was very much like charismatic and would talk about these things that he'd done in his life and whatever. And so... He was definitely someone who I could have a sense of pride in when we were out in public. And he wasn't acting like a chauvinistic pig, which, you know, wasn't all the time. That was just some of the time. Also, he could be very racist. But again, that was only some of the time, not all of the time. So, but when we were back at home and it was just the two of us, he wasn't exactly like that. He would go into very kind of dark, depressive state sometimes and 
be, you know, really verbally abusive. And so at those times, I guess you could say he was projecting, you know, the feminine, the part, like his feminine side that I'm sure he didn't really come to appreciate because he was so, he seemed to be working so hard on being a manly man. And, you know, he was born in fucking the 30s, right? And was was um a refugee you know he moved from hungary i don't know if you call it moved right it's like fled fled the revolution in 1957 so he was he moved to the united states at the tail end of the 50s and so experienced what america was like in the 50s and the 60s so you know the racism that was surely rampant at that time infiltrated his brain or whatever you know he took it on which is you know not to say that it was okay because I definitely never excused it when I was around him and would definitely call him out on that shit but you know that's sort of the the world that he came into America was a highly I mean America is still racist right but it was you know so obviously racist he saw an America where black people had to sit on a different part of the bus you know and like couldn't use the water fountain and shit like that so that's the America that he came into. And so anyway, um, what am I saying? So yeah, he would project the rejected feminine, I think his own rejected feminine onto me and attack me from that angle, you know, like being so sensitive, you know, like stop crying. You don't need to cry about like whatever dumb shit and stop being so fucking stupid, you know? I felt like that's part of his rejected feminine that he was projecting onto me and attacking in that way. So after reading that book, I just felt very much like, what the fuck am I supposed to do with this? The fuck am I supposed to do with this information? I mean, I guess the idea is that you just make these things conscious or that as you become conscious, you know, as you bring these things into consciousness, you can shift them somehow. So even before reading that book, I noticed that I had men have been projecting their, you know, whatever, their feminine onto me and they they will praise or attack me. They will idolize or demonize me. I'll get both positive and negative reactions to that projection of the feminine which is highly uncomfortable when I notice it you know because it's like you're not seeing me you're just seeing whatever the fuck you're projecting onto me but it's not like we can escape projection completely that's just what people do right and how is I guess how are these men to know what their feminine is unless they project it onto me right I become a mirror for the projection and then work through it but to not be seen is painful for me because I spent like my whole childhood basically not being seen for who I am and so still at this age still at age 42 I'm still I'm still not being seen I'm still having to try to either become the projection or actively try to peek out from behind the projection and be like, yo, that's not me. But it could be me. It's not like, you know, I, I 
I am a woman and I do have maybe more easy access to the feminine than like a dude, for example, right? So hopefully that's changing, but you know, we are where we are at in a certain point of history where still women seem to have easier access to the feminine. And I guess I can actively refuse to take on projections, but it's it's work, it's effort, it's energy that I don't know if I want to do so much. And so it's like, I feel maybe validated in my sense that I should pull back from relationships with men for a while. You know, even in my astrology practice, you know, I, I there's been times where I wonder if I should sort of not, not I don't want to use the word refuse, but maybe avoid or not take on men or male cis heterosexual male clients as part of my practice because I don't want to have their sort of rejected feminine or dejected feminine projected onto me and then be attacked and in like an analytic situation like a psychoanalytical kind of therapy session you know this idea of transference which is what happens when clients will like project you know their mother their father whatever the masculine the feminine onto the analyst and then sort of work within that paradigm and it's not problematic in the therapy situation but I'm not a therapist and I don't plan to offer therapy I mean I might in the future but that that's not really my original intention for doing the astrology it's really I really want to focus more on the chart and what do we do with the information in the chart as opposed to some sort of transference encounter where I become the thing that that this person needs to uh, come face to face with but also knowing that that I, I can be the mirror for people and so if I can potentially be the mirror and that mirroring helps then I guess I can do it, right? But there's also sort of a hesitation inside of me or maybe a fear, you know, that I'm like, will I be able to handle all these projections, you know? And maybe if I just limit it to a small number of male clients, maybe, then I'll be able to, you know, maintain the appropriate boundaries and sort of clean out the energy field as necessary because I definitely don't want to not work with men I don't want to have this rule that I don't work with men because I love all human beings and I don't want to dismiss out of hand or reject out of hand any you know part of the human population that's never been sort of how I am as a person but there is this fear inside of me of of men and and being attacked in some way because I am a woman and so I have tried to sort of embrace the non-binary label or whatever that sort of terminology and do with that what I will you know which is like I don't know (laughs) it's most it seems very much like a surface type thing this whole non-binary um category because even in and of itself it sounds like just another fucking category so it seems very much like okay well maybe I don't have to dress as like feminine or like I can get a non-binary hair style or something I don't know it's 
yeah, it seems very surface and doesn't sort of get deeply into the um, crux or whatever. Like it's it's not really what I think I'm moving towards, which I think we're all moving towards, but I feel very strongly in myself just moving towards wholeness, which is not the same as non-binary because it's just non-binary is just rejecting the binary but the binary exists in you know this reality that we're in the 3d or whatever the fuck you want to call it like duality exists man woman boy girl left right black white you know these things exist and it's just part of the um I think how logic or rationality or like the left brain works is like one way of understanding things is by what is it not? Like, how do you know what an apple is? Well, you know what an apple is because it's not a banana, right? Or it's not an orange. It's not a lemon. It's not a lime. Um, That's just one way of sort of making sense of things and, and coming up with definitions in our minds is through this duality. And in some languages, it's stronger than others because, you know, I know if you're growing up in an English-speaking country, I think this idea of studying the opposites is quite common. You know, when you're learning English, you know, it's like in workbooks and shit, right? Like, what's the opposite of this? You know, you have to, like, draw a line connecting opposites in, like, workbooks and shit. I remember doing that as a little kid, you know? Like, you connect the opposites with a line. But when I came to Japan and you know as i'm as i was studying the japanese language the opposites are not as clear and i'm not sure that's even how japanese people think or how the language itself works i mean it's not you could say it's not as like logical or rational as english for example because i don't think the language was created for that purpose to sort of propose propels I don't know, to sort of make, uh, come up with logical statements and draw conclusions from arguments or whatever. I don't think it's that type of language. And so the opposites are not as clear. And because of that, I think sometimes the meanings are also not as clear because you don't have that non-anti whatever side of it to say, okay, because it's not that, it's this. So... The whole non-binary thing, I guess, is just rejecting that the whole man, woman, uh, the extremes, I guess. But I don't know if that's like an effective word. I don't know if that terminology is going to work. I tried it on myself and it doesn't feel like, you know, whatever the terminology I'm looking for. So another thing also is coming to Japan, like when I was living in the States, a lot of people would refer to me or some people would refer to me as mixed race or whatever because my father is Hungarian and my mother's Filipino. But here in Japan, they refer to people as half because they mean you're like, like you have one Japanese parent. So, you know, and whatever, I don't want to go into the uh, problematic aspects of that terminology but you know you can use your own mind and figure out what's wrong with saying half instead of mixed but anyway what the fuck was I trying to say but it's like yeah you're not you're not this right like half of you is not 
Japanese and half of you is Japanese or whatever. So that sort of binary or whatever I think is inescapable when you're using fucking language and words and shit, right? But maybe it's just the whole rejecting the category of man or woman, but like whatever, if people want to be women, if people want to be men, then that seems like, I don't know, it doesn't seem problematic if people want to do those things. So it's just, I think it's part of the journey of trying to figure out what a thing is, is to like try it on. But so part of the, part of taking on this mantle, as you will, this identity of man or woman, I think that's part of exploring what those archetypes, what those mean you know what what does that mean to be a man what does it mean to be a woman and you know I guess non-binary would just be like either you don't want to to do that you don't want to continue to do that exploration anymore for one reason or another like maybe you're you've done it and it's finished and now you'd like to move on or you're just not interested whatever so but I think I'm still interested in exploring this idea of man and this idea of woman um yeah so I will continue to use those terms I think in my own life and find some way of working with them because I think it's just more accessible for people than the feminine and the masculine you know that's ultimately I think what we're trying to figure out and what we're trying to work with and figure out how to use or flow with or access like it's just part of exploring the energy of the masculine and the feminine I think is is these terms man and woman like ultimately we're all human and so maybe I would prefer to use the term human I'm a human I'm not a man I'm not a woman I'm not non-binary I'm a human I'm a human being we're all human beings You who are listening to my podcast now, which is not to say non-human beings are not also listening to this podcast because I'm sure there are, but you know who you are if you're a human, right? Okay, so yeah, so that's, that's why I wouldn't want to say that a certain type, a certain category of human being, you know, is not acceptable to become a client of mine. That's, you know, fucked up, whatever. But I also have to, I also would like to stay conscious of the fact that these projections can become problematic in our relationships with each other. And in professional relationships, it can be easier or harder, depending upon how you look at at it. But there's a part of me that is very hesitant to create or nurture relationships with men which just means you know people who human beings who are deeply exploring the masculine archetype I think is one way you could think about it and I almost feel like I spent my whole childhood right up until I moved to Japan So up until the age of 21, right, I was exploring the masculine archetype because I was in this symbiotic relationship with my father. I looked up to him so very much, you know, I thought he was just like the greatest, to to put it in extreme terms, because obviously 
there's things about him that I didn't like and that I didn't find acceptable, you know, like the racism and the fucking misogyny. (laughs) But, you know, I tried really hard to, and not consciously, but, you know, I loved my dad. So I tried to look past those things, those problematic aspects and, well, not look past because I called him out on that shit, you know, and it was very tiring and it was exhausting to have to call him out on that shit all the time. But maybe not look past, but set aside. You know, I tried to set aside those problematic aspects of his personality and still love him for who he is, which is a human being. And he's not ultimately, you know, bound by these categories. Like, even though he was trying so hard to be, you know, a good or whatever, an attractive, I don't know, some kind of man, right? Because he was really, the culture and society pushed him into that box and then he you know, embraced it, I think, as we all do at some point, you know, you try to embrace the box that you're put in, so that you can, you know, get positive attention, get validation from people, you know, and be accepted by fucking mainstream dumbass people. So he did that, you know, and he did a pretty good job, I think, because a lot of people really found my dad attractive, and he was well liked by his, you know, clients or customers or whatever. And, like, people who worked at, like, stores and restaurants, like, a lot of people really liked him as a person or whatever. Like, he gave them the kind of attention that that they, that they liked, and they gave him the kind of attention that he liked, and whatever. Like, everyone just seemed to be having a good time sometimes when he was around. But, yeah, so I, too, like, I think a lot of people have a very idealized and also demonized I have both the ideal and the demon version of the masculine in my mind like it's in my consciousness and I spent a lot of my life projecting the ideal man wanting to see the ideal man the ideal male or whatever the ideal masculine in the men around me and so when I would get in relationships not only was I taking on the projection of this dude's ideal woman, but I would also be projecting my ideal man onto him, which was oftentimes, you know, based on my father, who is a kind of a hard, kind of a difficult model of behavior to try to imitate or whatever. Not that they were trying to imitate, but, you know, we can feel each other's projections. So just as I could feel what was being projected onto me and feeling sort of a need to to shapeshift, to become that thing. I'm sure that the people that I was dating and that I was in relationships with were also feeling my projection and trying in one way or another to to perform in accordance with that. In fact, the dude that I'm now separated from, in the very beginning of the separation, we had some conversations. You know, we took some walks and would like sit outside and try to talk about you know, what went wrong or like how to fix it or whatever. And I remember him asking me specifically, like, what is your ideal man? What is it that you're looking for a man? And when he asked me that, I was like, I don't, what the fuck are you talking about? Like, that's not how I think about the people that I'm in relationships with. You know, like I try to, you know, like them or love them for who they are. I don't think I said it like that to him. I think I just said like, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't have an ideal man um I'm probably just magnetized 
men that are kind of like my father in one way or another, you know, unconsciously magnetize those types of dudes. So it would, so I magnetized exactly the type of dude who would easily take on the projection of my father, that type of masculinity or whatever. Not that I ever dated anyone who was racist or misogynistic, but now that I say that actually the person that I married is kind of racist and is kind of misogynistic, so yeah. But the people that I dated before him were not, or at least, you know, maybe I didn't get to know them long enough to see those shadow aspects of their personalities, but what is the point? What am I trying to say here? So yeah, I guess I just feel like I need to sort of disentangle my relationship with my father in my mind, you know, because he's passed away. So I've definitely released all expectations in regards to, you know, whatever kind of relationship we could have had because he's no longer exists in that form. You know, but it's interesting because I talked to this psychic one time and she use, she uses a ghost box and she was saying that before she started the session with me because I was a little late or something that she turned on the ghost box and she heard some voices and she heard a male's voice that said I love you and I immediately was like oh yeah that's got to be my dad and who knows if it was or if it wasn't. Like, I can't prove who that was. It could have been, you know, I've lost other I've lost other men in my life. So it could have been someone else, but you know, I'm pretty sure it was my dad. But, you know, that is where I sought so much love is from my father. And I really tried to live my life in a way that would be pleasing to him in some fashion not I mean you know not exactly like I know my dad wanted me to like get involved with a military type dude that kind of guy and you know for better or worse probably for better I never did get involved with anybody who was in the military also my dad had wanted me to buy a house he very was kind of pressuring me to do that you know when the housing I don't want not the bubble right I don't know if it was the bubble but there was you know that I think it was when the whole when it was easy for like anyone to get a fucking home loan Uh, I forget what you call that you know phase of uh, American recent history but you know there was a time where it was like anyone could get a fucking home loan and anyone could buy a fucking house during that time I remember my dad being very much like you need to buy a house you need to buy a house and I can like fix everything in the house but at that point in time, I had already moved to Japan and I think I had created like a good amount of distance between him and myself that it was easy for me to sort of reject that idea out of hand and just be like, what the fuck are you talking about? That's not at all what I'm interested in. I've never been interested in being a homeowner. So yeah, that's your dream, dude. Don't don't try to get me on board with that shit. So yeah, it's not like I took on all of his hopes and dreams but you know there was a part of me that was like okay I need to 
ensure that I have his, you know, eternal acceptance, you know, so that I will continue to receive love from this person up until I moved away, right? And so then when I moved away, when I came to Japan, I went through a period of being really, really lonely. I got sick for like a whole month, you know, like the second month that I was in Japan, I got sick for a month and I was like, I couldn't, I was like stuck in bed and shit. And I was, I remember some nights just looking up at the moon and I feel like that's when I first started developing a relationship with the moon. Like the moon felt very close and it felt like the moon was watching me and saying something to me I don't know what it was at that time but throughout the years I definitely feel like the moon has gotten closer and closer to me I remember this one time where I went um, trekking by myself in this island called Yakushima and I was staying in this um, mountain hut you know this unmanned they have these tiny little huts in Japan in some of the mountains where you can just you know lay out a sleeping bag or something yeah, in Japan, in some of the mountains where you can go trekking, they have these little huts, which is like very simple. There's just like a wooden floor or whatever, where you can just lay out whatever you need to lay out and lay down on. That's all there is. Four walls, a door, maybe some windows, right? And a wood floor. There's not, e there's not even like a bathroom or anything. So... Uh, there's this one night where I was alone in one of these huts because I had went down a path that was not very popular and I was laying by the window and I could feel that the light was getting stronger and stronger that was coming through the window that night and you could hear the monkeys you know playing or whatever it is they're doing under the full moon that night and the moon was fucking huge outside the window of this little mountain hut that I was staying in. I don't know if it was because I was like close to the top of a mountain or what the fuck, but it just felt humongous. I was like, why the fuck? How, like, it's too close. Like, why is the moon so close? Like, clearly the moon is like closer than it needs to be. And I remember reading a story. I don't know if it was before or after that. I remember reading a short story about this woman who would sit and look at the moon, you know, night after night after night. And it was just getting closer and closer and closer. And she started to get really um, scared, you know, that it was that it was getting so close. And I think eventually she got um, absorbed or like eaten by the moon. So it's kind of a scary story. But so that night I just felt very strongly the presence of the moon. And I don't think I was able to sleep. You know, you had the sound of the monkeys playing and then this big-ass moon in front of my face. It was pretty hard to sleep. So I don't think I got any sleep, but I had various moon-related encounters since coming to Japan. And I think part of it was me moving away from the my father and the father archetype and the masculine and sort of coming, being feeling like I was being drawn to the feminine through or via the moon and you could even see that if you do like a relocated astrology chart for me moving here put the moon close to my ascendant moved it out of the eighth house and into the first house close to my ascendant so it was very much it was almost like proof right of my intuition that 
somehow the moon has been, you know, calling me this whole time. And there's there's messages that I've somehow been receiving from the moon about moving away from the masculine and moving more towards the feminine or pulling the feminine out of the shadows, out of the eighth house, out of the death mother. Reading about the death mother, the dead mother archetype was very, um, that very much resonated with me because I guess inside myself, the mother was dead. I had killed the mother. Yeah, the mother, the mother was dead to me. And so the feminine was also dead to me because in our culture, that seems to be the easiest way to access the feminine is through the archetype of the mother. And I didn't really have access to that throughout my childhood. So I guess the, the other way of accessing the feminine would have been through the virgin or the whore, right? You have the virgin whore um, dichotomy, but I think that's just, the whore is just the shadow side of the virgin or what people, yeah, the, the side of the virgin that people don't want to see. But really, it's just the version. But whatever, people are like embracing the word whore now. So it's fine, whatever, whore, sure. Okay, whatever you want. But I feel like that feeds into some of these, some people's idea of, you know, the, um, I feel like that's feeding the shadow in some way, which again, it's fine, but I don't know. I feel like I'm more my job or whatever my mission or my sort of like what I'm doing in my own life is pulling stuff out of the shadows I'm not necessarily wanting to feed the shadow because I don't really think it needs feeding I think it's just sort of more about going into this shadow and seeing what's in there and bringing these things into the into the light I feel like the moon in some sense has been bringing me closer to the mother to the point where I did become a mother myself and then find that that was very very limited and limiting and restrictive and not it didn't allow me to fully be in my feminine is just to take on this role of the mother so I guess I had stepped into the virgin role before getting pregnant and having a child but once I stepped into this mother role I felt like I couldn't go back to the virgin role like I had tried to go back to that and embrace it again but the person that I was with wasn't allowing me to go back to that they they wanted to keep me as the mother I had to I had to remain in this person's projection of the mother and there had been moments where I feel like they this person had also projected the whore onto me and that felt very um wrong like I'm not I'm not the fucking whore I'm not your whore I'm not anybody's whore but maybe that was part of me you know that the virgin the the shadow aspect of the virgin was very strong in me at that time and I was able to as I moved away from this person and was able to get in touch with my sexuality again away from this person I was able to see that my sexuality or whatever the the erotic part of me doesn't need to be doesn't need to live in the shadows and I don't think it had lived in the shadows until I got married and then this person that I was with I think they wanted it they were pushing it into the shadows to some degree and also there is this sort of societal um 
there is this very um like fucked up trend in society and i don't know how much of it is society or whatever you know like the people around us and how much of it is the woman's partner or family and also the woman herself but there is this trend of women you know once you have a child sort of just becoming mother you're no longer a woman or you're no longer the virgin right you're no longer able to access or you know take on that archetype that you're just the mother and I remember feeling very sort of suffocated by the word or like in Japanese there's a kanji for haha for mother yeah I remember when my daughter was like three or four years old that I was starting to feel very suffocated by this label this category this archetype of the mother you know even when I would interact with people from her kindergarten right they would refer to me as okasan like they would call me mother like I'm the mother and I could see like the other parts of myself sort of ceasing to exist or just not being seen and just fully becoming mother and only mother you know and the person I was with I started to feel like he was seeing me as mother I think I don't know about in America but in Japan sometimes um, married couples with children will call each other like mama or papa which I fucking hate I'm like completely repulsed by so he would try to refer to me as mama and I'd be like that's not my name you know I tried to correct him and I think for the most part he did not call me that very much but you know it's like mm, it feels like people slip into these roles and they come becomes very limiting and I felt very limited by the mother role and so then I tried to get back the parts of myself that were not that and it was maybe easier for me to access my masculine because I had this really close relationship with my father so maybe I pulled in the masculine before pulling in the virgin you know to sort of get my strength back and that just sort of probably pushed, you know, my partner away because, uh, you know, my masculine is probably stronger than a lot of men's masculines just because of how my father was. And, um, you know, maybe my personality or whatever. I think I can be very assertive and aggressive in a way that uh, probably turns off men who don't have that in themselves right men who are not very assertive or aggressive probably find that to be you know unattractive or whatever I don't give a fuck so yeah but then like trying to access the virgin yeah I don't think I was yeah I guess I tried to access the virgin but in these very you know surface ways um trying to make myself young again right but I wasn't I wasn't getting any younger so the whole age thing was becoming kind of an annoying thing you know was starting to bother me like I'm not getting any younger but I'm trying to be like a young woman or something and so I was sort of grasping for the an elder feminine like an older woman and I remember reading um Clarissa Pinkola Estes uh I think that her book is called Women Who run with the wolves I read that very early in the process of like starting to do um 
inner work, but that was just sort of like a good kick in the back or something, I don't know, kick in the womb maybe, right? That like there's something that you're moving towards and it's probably her book where I first came across this idea of the crone. I'm not sure if or how she uses that that word or that concept or that archetype in her book, but I was really looking for examples of that in my life and my grandmother had already passed away when I was pregnant with my daughter. So she had already been passed away for like four or five years, I guess, when I really desperately needed her, when I was really desperately looking for sort of an older feminine role model that could, you know, help me evolve as a woman or evolve my femininity or sort of bring more of the feminine into my life in a way that's not the mother and it's not the virgin, right? I was basically reaching out for the crone and wasn't finding any examples of it in my life or around me. And I think that's because there is a... um there is a dearth or whatever. There is a there is a scarcity of people. It's because it, again, this doesn't have to doesn't have to be a woman, right? It could be a man or a woman or non-binary or whatever. This is not really about gender. It's sort of the energy of that archetype. There's not a lot of people, not a lot of human beings that are accessing the energy of the crone, and so that's what I really needed in my life in order to in order to fully pull myself away from my father I think and come into the the feminine or my own unique feminine and it's only in recent years that I've been able to access that energy and I haven't really found you know human examples of it I guess Or I guess one human example, one person that I think may have provided a an entry point into the archetype or the energy of the crone is Lama Tsulchum Alione, the um, Lama who had studied with Chogyam Chungpa. So in a way, maybe he was leading me to her and she was leading me to the Dikinis, which is another, which is another archetypal feminine. Yeah, so in taking and reading Lama Tsujmalioni's books and then taking a course with her on the mandala of the the Dikini mandala, I think that put me into touch with not just the energy of the crone, but also this sort of fierce feminine, like a type of warrior feminine and a dark feminine. Not that she is necessarily teaching the dark feminine, but through her work, I think I was able to access in myself the dark feminine and find a different kind of strength in that that I wasn't able to find in my relation to the masculine which is sort of very uh, willpower kind of based energy which is you know just deciding that I'm going to do a fucking thing and just doing it like that's a very different kind of strength that that is strength as well and that's probably the strength that I've leaned on uh, up until I got married and then sort of had that experience of having, of trying to continue to rely on my willpower, you know, trying to continue to rely on my determination to accomplish things that sort of bottomed out or something. So I reached the limits of living in that way or, or depending upon that sort of strength in myself and had to find the strength of the dark feminine, which is not a willpower based energy. 
it's sort of more surrendering to the chaos and accessing that sort of chaotic energy, which is not something that you can do with the logical, rational mind. Once you start trying to make sense of things, yeah, you're moving away from that energy and you're sort of putting a lid on it. Yeah, it's obviously hard to explain because it doesn't work in like a rational, logical way. But this book, again, that I was reading yesterday was talking about it more in terms of a causality and um, synchronicities, right? So I've definitely noticed a lot of those in my life, but there's sort of more increasing frequency of synchronicities in recent years where it will just be like, uh, yes, something just opens up or things just connect, like seeing how things connect. The connections are coming in faster and clearer and... um, yeah, things are like speeding up. And I guess that's, you know, part of it is just the times that we're living in. It does feel like we're speeding up, but also, you know, accessing that sort of chaos energy, it does feel like it speeds things up because you're not, it's not a step-by-step linear process and you're not, you're not in control of things. It's not going from step A to step B, you know, you could spin around and around and end up at Q or P or whatever the fuck without even trying to go there without even knowing that that's where you're going you're just like oh yeah when you arrive you're like okay yeah this is a cool place that I've arrived I didn't even know this is where I want to go but actually I like where this has taken me so I'm gonna go from here it's like a little boost or like a warp or something you get warped into a yeah and maybe some people could talk about it as like timeline shifting maybe but I feel like the whole timeline concept maybe that keeps us stuck in that linear way of thinking and that's not as helpful because time is yes time is a line but it's also not a line so talking about it in terms of timelines feels limiting as a as a concept to work with so I don't think the whole yeah, I don't think that concept really resonates with me and I'd like to maybe come up with another way of explaining how it all works. So for now, it feels like warping as opposed to um, shifting timelines. Um, but what was the point of this whole thing? <laughs> I think I was trying to talk about my dad and my feelings about my dad. So... But I feel really, I feel once again, really connected to my dad right now, which is strange. Um, But I guess I did have to move away from him as, as him being sort of a representation of the masculine so that I could fully move into the feminine and fully embrace mother, virgin, and crone. You know, these three faces, uh, like Hecate, uh, the three faces of the feminine including the dark feminine inside myself and now that I've done that work not that it's completed but now that I've reached a certain point in that work I feel like I'm able to connect with my father again and not through this sort of archetype of the masculine or not not as an example of man or maleness because he's no longer a man he's no longer male because he's no longer human so but I feel more connected with him, I think, right now. And that's a little scary, right? Because it was a symbiotic relationship when he was in 
human form. And I, I did tear up when that psychic told me there was a, I heard a male voice saying, I love you. I kind of choked up a little bit um, because those feelings are so like almost primal, like it comes from a very deep place. Yeah. So, but also acknowledging, recognizing, feeling that connection with my father also makes me feel kind of hesitant or questioning, sort of wondering if it would be possible to ever have that sort of similar connection with another human man (laughs) in my own life because I definitely did not have that with my uh with the person that I married and do I even want that I don't know you know um is it enough that I had that connection with my father is it enough that I've done it once in my life would it just be pushing it (laughs) to try to do it again would it be asking for too much you know there's definitely a part of me that's probably like you did it once it's enough you don't really need to go out of your way to do it another time you know it's a little bit ambitious okay so let's rein it in rein it back the fuck in just be happy that you that you were able to uh, develop that sort of bond and connection with one one male one man in your life, you know? And so maybe now, for this part of the journey for me, and maybe if I'm going to continue working with men and having relationships with men, it's sort of more about reconnecting with or coming to a different understanding coming to embrace the masculine through my connection with my own father not the father archetype but sort of what I felt about him and his potential how can I plug into that as a way of coming to love men again because I want to I don't want to reject a whole portion of humanity and there's a part of me that's that I think has thought in the past like well maybe I should just be with someone who's non-binary right or like who doesn't who isn't a cis heterosexual man I went through a phase of thinking I should just be with women maybe but you know I have to be honest with myself and though I find women attractive um, that's not really what I'm attracted to I think I really am attracted to men and like the masculine energy and so I really would like, I have a desire, a deep desire in myself to somehow come to love men somehow. (laughs) I have no idea if I'm going to be able to do it, but, you know, I'm putting um, putting the intention forth that somehow I would like to find in myself a way to 
love men, love all men and not dismiss them out of hand, even though I don't feel, I don't feel particularly hopeful about men and I don't want to take on men's problems, you know, as my own, which is something I've done in the past. Like, I don't want to do that codependent bullshit where I'm trying to like solve men's problems and I definitely don't want to feel any more emotions for you know, the person that I'm with, I think men really need to and can learn how to sit with and process and work with their own emotions. There's definitely a way for men to do that as well. So I don't want to do it for them. But, you know, if even just my (laughs) one person's, one tiny person's intention to love them, if that can somehow shift the the trend or whatever, the, the sort of pattern that we're experiencing of men being very angry and violent, if just my intention to somehow love them more myself, if that will help shift that in any way, I definitely want to try and do that.